All right. Um, as I was saying earlier, um, we're going to take a look at Second Corinthians chapter six, and as per usual, you know these sessions are always uh, most um, just most fruitful, I think, when um, we all jump in with your with our comments, with our questions, with you know our thoughts about what we what we look at and, and the verses that we learn from. So. Um, Let's get ready to, to do that and have that in mind as we think about you know, some of these verses because uh, there's a lot in here that we can take away from as we kind of look at the scripture here tonight. Okay. All right, so we're going to be in that 2 Corinthians 6. We're also in verse 3. So 2 Corinthians 6, 3. Okay, so I'm going to start reading. And I'm reading, by the way, just so everybody knows. Um, from the New Living Translation. Um, it says here, and this is Paul, and he's writing to the church in Corinth. He says, we try to live in such a way that no one will be hindered from finding the Lord by the way we act, and so no one can find fault within our ministry. In everything we do, we try to show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We've been beaten, been put in jail, faced angry mob, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We have proved ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, our sincere love, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We have faithfully preached the truth. God's power has been working in us. We have righteousness as our weapon, both to attack and to defend ourselves. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us impostors. We are well known, but we are treated as unknown. We live close to death, but here we are, still alive. We have been beaten within an inch of our lives. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Oh, dear Corinthian friend, we have spoken honestly with you. Our hearts will open to you. If there is a problem between us, it is not because of a lack of love on our part, because you have withheld your love from us. I am talking now as I would to my own children. Open your hearts to us. So you see, as we kind of look at the scripture and the verses here, um, that um, you know what what Paul is, is referring to and what he's going through. He's writing to the church um, that there are so many challenges he's faced with and he's speaking from the heart with what he says and you can see at the end where he's speaking to the church at Corinth and he says um, for them to open their hearts you know, to him um, but what I want you to, to be able to focus on here today is this is a description of what um, Paul um, is talking about that he um, and his acolytes are going through um, because you hear them talking about being beaten being put in jail facing angry mobs, and all these kinds of things are the direct result of, you know, essentially working for the kingdom of God. You know, the working, the work that Paul was doing for the kingdom of God, it wasn't very glamorous, obviously. The work that he was doing for the kingdom of God, you know, it didn't, you know, lead to, you know, fame or fortune, you know, in, in the way that, you know, a lot of the kinds of work that people pursue in today's day and age, you know, will, you know, help one to achieve that. Um, it was it was a thankless job in a lot of ways, um, but he did it 
to the best of his ability. Um, he did it regardless of whether um, anyone was going to pat him on the back for it. And he did it sometimes even knowing that his life was going to be on the line. And so there's a great lesson, you know, in that, um, I think, for us. But I would just pose a question uh, to anybody out there who um, is is listening in, especially those of you on a conference line, hit star five um, just to raise, you know, a hand. Um, and the question is, is, as you look at what Paul went through, what, what do you think uh, the main takeaway is for us as believers or what comes to your mind as you read the scripture verses with regard to what Paul experienced. Um, if anybody has any thoughts regarding that, um, definitely hit star five on your phone. And again, I always like to say that, you know, there's never a, a right or wrong answer to any of these kinds of prompts. It's just uh, a way for us to engage in, in sort of a meaningful conversation about various things. And so, you know, if you, if you have, as you were reading this, any kind of reaction, especially the question of what you can learn from Paul, um, what you learn from his experience, um, feel free to hit star five and we can take your commentary. Um, but but I'll, I'll say a couple of additional you know words about it as well, even as I, as I wait for others to, to chime in with their commentary. Um, one such thing being that what we see looking at, at the word here um, is that Paul was an incredibly faithful servant and yet despite his his dedicated servitude, still faced, you know, significant challenges, not even what we would consider to be like normal challenges, the kind of challenges that, you know, a person today um, goes through even one quarter of that, uh, what Paul, you know, went through being beaten, thrown in jail wrongly, facing angry mobs. A person today would put that on, you know, Facebook or something or Instagram and would have, you know, 20 million people empathizing with them and would be, you know, front page news or something and everyone would be, saying what a victim they are. None of that was happening for Paul back in those days. He had to endure it um, and had to live with it. And there was no ethics committee to review and see whether or not he had been treated fairly. And so I think that's so you know, interesting to have that context that, that he was really going through it for the kingdom, but he was 100% dedicated and 100% committed. And I think that that's important for us uh, to bear in mind, especially when we think about the fact that, you know, for us, we think about the fact that for us, um, you know, we go through a lot of times less than him. Um, and so if God expected even Paul, who was a very, very faithful servant, to go through trials, you know, how much more should we also expect it? You know, God didn't spare Paul. If God didn't spare Paul from trials, then, you know, we can, you know, be pretty certain that we too won't be exempt from having to go through trials. But it doesn't mean that God loves you any less or that God is uninterested you know, in, in the things you're experiencing. It's just that God, for the purpose of building character, allows us to go through these challenges um, without a doubt. Uh, I just want to pause there, see if anybody, you know, um, else from who's on the line has any kind of comments or kind of questions as you kind of read through um, this passage from Second Corinthians, the sixth chapter. We were in Second Corinthians 6, we read from verse 3 um, all the way down through verse 10. One other point I would make is where it talks about the fact that um, despite the fact that his heart aches, Paul's saying, you know, I have joy. He's saying, I have joy. And last week we talked a lot about joy, and we talked about how um, important it is um, that we uh, would be among those who experience the joy of the Lord. Um, 
how important it is to be among those who experience this joy and how important it is for us to enjoy the, the company of friends and family members and, and loved ones. And, you know, it, it even says, you know, in, in not so many words in, in Ecclesiastes, eat, drink, and be merry for all intents and purposes. But here what we see is Paul talking about, hey, this is not a time where I'm eating and drinking and enjoying myself. This is a time where I'm going through real significant hardships, and yet I've made up my mind, you know, that I'm going to have joy. And he did have joy. And the joy came from within. It came from knowing that God, you know, loved him, was on his side, et cetera. So just wanted to point that out also. Um, and, again, just want to see if there's anybody else who has, you know, any kind of comments or questions about, you know, what we've read thus far. I'll wait for see if anybody's hand goes up. You can hit star five on 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 the line if you have any kind of um, questions, if you will. If not, what we'll do is we'll kind of move. There's another passage of scripture still regarding um, Paul at at Corinth, um, chapter four. And but this time I'm gonna I'm gonna you know kind of handle it differently. I'm, I'm gonna read through this verse for you, and then I want you, all, some of those of you who are on the line, to give me your just your initial reaction. So I'm gonna read it for you. But then I want to hear your reaction to it. I'm not going to teach on it. I'm going to just have us engage in conversation, dialogue on, on this, on this topic. So go to, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And 1 Corinthians 4, we're going to read from it. I'm going to give you a, a, a read through. And then I want you to let me know what the, what are some of the first things that come to your mind and some of the key insights you, you've learned about when you kind of take a look at these passages. So I'm going to read it first. And then we will uh, move forward from there. By the way, if anyone's a first-time caller, you're calling for your first time ever with us, just want to just uh, introduce you again, introduce myself to you and then you to the ministry. My name is Pastor Tim. We are here at Fulfilled by Church. If you are, are calling in for the first time and um, you feel like, you know, you just want to um, say hello, give us, you know, a couple of seconds about yourself, you can hit star five on your phone. That's how I know. You wanted to raise a hand so we can introduce ourselves to you. Um, perhaps we can pray for you if you have anything you need prayer for. We just wanted to just mention that to anybody who's calling in for the first time. Um, but as we as we move forward here, just want to take a look at First Corinthians chapter four. So I'm going to read it. I'll be thinking about you know how, what what it connotes for you. What what kind of thoughts come to your mind as you look at this um, passage of scripture? It says in chapter four, verse one. So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ, been put in charge of explaining God's secrets. Now, a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. What about me? Have I been faithful? Well, it matters very little what you or anyone else thinks. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that isn't what matters. It's the Lord himself who will join me and decide. So be careful not to jump to conclusions before the Lord returns as to whether or not someone is faithful. When the Lord comes, he will bring our deepest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. And then God will give to every to everyone whatever praise is due. I'll just read that verse to you there. We were talking about how faithful Paul had been serving um, and yet went through our troubles. Here, Paul's speaking about just commitment in general, dedication. That's, that's the term for what about faithfulness? We're talking about his commitment. And we just read in, in 2 Corinthians about the commitment of Paul. 
But what do people think when you kind of read through these verses, or when you hear these verses stated? And what are some of the first things that come to your mind regarding what Paul says there? So I'm going to read it again. Hit star five if you have any thoughts about this. It says, what about me? Have I been faithful? Well, it matters very little what you or anyone else thinks. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. So I'm interested if anybody had any thoughts about that concept of Paul saying, I don't know if I would even say that I myself have been faithful. If there's something that we can learn as Christians about that, that's a very, very interesting point. Um, and again, if any thoughts come to mind, hit star five. But I'll say a couple of words just regarding it. And, um, you know, see if you can sort of track with me, you know, on this line of reasoning here, which is that one of the key things we learn from this particular scripture, from this passage of scripture, and for those of you just joining, we're in First Corinthians chapter 4. We started at verse 1, so First Corinthians 4. Um, one of the key things you learn um, from looking at the scripture is that you know, it, it doesn't really matter so much what other people think about someone. It doesn't even matter what we think about our own performance. The only thing that really matters is what God is seeing within that person. And the only thing that matters is God's judgment regarding the way that that individual has lived their life, whether they've been faithful or not. And earlier on, we were talking about Paul and saying, you know, how dedicated he was. I mean, he was willing to be flogged in the streets, put his life on the line for Christ. That's how faithful he was. But even for Paul, he said, you know what? Even after all those things I've done, you know, I don't know for a fact whether God would say I'm faithful. Maybe there are certain things that I've done wrong. Maybe my motives haven't always been as pure, uh, uh, you know, in, in actuality. And so he's very introspective. And I think it's important for us as believers to be that way also, to be introspective, um, to look at ourselves and, and not to, you know, keep so much credit on ourselves as to think, well, I'm doing everything right. I go to church. I, I read the Bible. I talk to people about God. You know, I do this and that. So I'm just an obviously very, very faithful believer. I think it's good to have a certain level of self-confidence. But Paul's talking about a certain humility where even if you are willing to give up everything for the gospel, as, as Paul was, you still are too humble or so humble that you would never say of yourself, yeah, but I know for a fact God thinks I've been faithful in every situation. Because who can really know that? Even Paul said, I can't really actually know that. And so you see the kind of humility um, that ought to be common for those of us who uh, are believers and who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and who you know, are seeking God to provide us, you know, with um, essentially an evaluation huh. uh, when we see that. When we see that, or when we have that experience, um, what we'll realize is that it isn't about you know what we think of ourselves, and it's certainly not about what we think of others or what others think of us. It's all about what God sees and His His way of evaluating. Um, I wanted to just pause it for a second. Wasn't sure if anybody has any kind of commentary, thoughts, questions about about that concept we read from First Corinthians just a moment ago of of not necessarily always knowing whether or not you know, the Lord would say of you that you're faithful or not. Anyone has any comments about that, feel free uh, to hit star five on your phone and you can sort of chime in here.
Um, we're still in the Book of Corinthians because there's, there's a, a bevy of just um, knowledge here. And I want to close the sort of teaching part of the session uh, with one last um, piece of scripture from Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. So we've been talking a lot about commitment. Uh, we started with talking about how committed Paul was to the point where he was willing, uh, in fact, to allow himself to be uh, beaten within an inch of his life, he said in his own words, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then we talk about the fact that even for a man as committed as that, um, there's really no way even for him to understand the full extent of, of God's power and God's wisdom and judgment. And, you know, God is so wise in the way that he judges uh, that um, he, you know, everything is made plain before him. So Paul said, you know, I may, I may think I, I'm pure in my ways, but, you know, God will really know. But I want to just close with this last verse and this section of the chapter is literally called the wisdom of God. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. And it's talking about the cross. And I think this is important because I think that this passage of Scripture will embolden you as believers. Because I think one thing that churches often struggle with, Christians struggle with, I myself sometimes even struggle with, is the notion that, you know, we want to go out and we want to share the gospel with people. Minister Stacy, for example, on the line will often have us pray when we do our normal evening services about um, salvation for lost souls or anyone in the backslidden state, they would come to the cross and come to know Jesus Christ. But one of the biggest obstacles and the hurdles, if we're honest about it, is the notion that to a lot of people who are not believers yet, to a lot of people who might be atheists or members of different religions or not sure what they believe in or who, you know, really hang their hat on whatever the, the sort of human science of the time can tell them. Um, these folks think that the, the notion of the cross doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They don't think that it is, you know, reasonable. They don't think that it is sensible. And Paul grapples with that exact concept here. Even though he was at a time where the science was significantly less developed than our current time, he faced that same thing. And if we're going to be persistent in pursuing, um, you know, just the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ and be persistent and faithful as Paul was, then obviously that's going to require us to go out and, and be unabashed in sharing the word of God. And that will mean that we're going to encounter people who will happen to not understand the value of the cross or who will not understand the wisdom of God. So let's talk about that wisdom. Paul lays it out really, really nicely here. First Corinthians. It says, I know very well, this is verse 18, First Corinthians chapter 1, I know very well how foolish the message of the cross sounds to those who are on the road to destruction. But we who are being saved recognize this message as the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy human wisdom and discard their most brilliant ideas. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's most brilliant debaters? God has made them all look foolish and has shown their wisdom to be useless nonsense. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never find him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save all who believe. 
God's way seems foolish to the Jews because they want a sign from heaven to prove it is true. And it is foolish to the Greeks because they believe only what agrees with their own wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the mighty power of God and the wonderful wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is far wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is far stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by all the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important, so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God alone made it possible for you to be in Christ Jesus, for the benefit God made Christ to be wisdom itself. So I want to see, I know we've read a lot there, but if anybody has any sort of commentary or thoughts that kind of come to mind, um, hit star five on your phone, and we can sort of get to some of your questions. We can sort of get to some of your your comments. But there's a lot to unpack there, um, and I think it's important you know, to cover it. So first and foremost, what we see um, from what we see from um, the word God, what we see is that um, we see that Paul acknowledges the fact that there are other sort of academics, there are scholars, there are other brilliant people, there are unbelievers and, and people of that nature who believe differently from him. He acknowledges that, which is important for us you know, as Christians to acknowledge and understand that there are people with different and differing viewpoints and points of view. So Paul, first of all, acknowledges that. He says, we're all the philosophers, the scholars, the brilliant debaters, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then he says, something that's very, very important, and I think it's, a, it's an important point for us to never forget, which is that God, in his wisdom, saw to it the world would never find him through human wisdom. That means God made it impossible for us to prove his existence strictly through uh, scientific and indisputable evidence. Like, you're not going to catch God on, on a video camera or something coming down from heaven uh, speaking to somebody and then ascending back up into the heavens in such a way that you can just put it on, you know, a TikTok video or, you know, put it on on CNN and everyone will see, okay, there's there's God. Like we've proven it with human wisdom. We caught God on camera. He's clearly real. It says God said he made it impossible. He made it so that the world could never find him that way. Instead, he made it so that you would need faith to find him. He expects us to look at the world he created and to look at his invisible qualities and to notice them. And on the basis of those things that we see around us, he expects and believes that we should know that there's a God. And that when he speaks to our heart and says, I'm here, I am your God, that we will, you know, respect that and acknowledge that. But interestingly, he Paul says something that, that I really like. He says here that, that God has used foolish preaching to save all who believe. And I can imagine Paul saying this tongue-in-cheek, but his point is that this preaching that everyone thinks is so silly 
is exactly what God is using. And that is an important point, you know, that the Lord doesn't think to himself that the, 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 the story of the cross is meant to be, you know, the number one intellectually accepted um, concept throughout the world. He understands that people are going to look at it and the philosophers right, are going to think that's foolish and the scientists are going to say, what are you talking about? And the atheists are going to wonder, why would I ever believe that? But he says, it's that foolish preaching, it's preached that people would think would be foolish that God has selected and used to save everybody who's willing to believe in him. That's what he says. And then interestingly, it mentions in verse 24 that those who are able to believe it are the ones who are called by God. They're called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles. They're called by God. And so that ought to also help us. I hope this emboldens you in a way. I hope this causes you to understand that, you know, God's not sitting in heaven perplexed that when you try to tell your neighbor about Christ, you know, he didn't, he didn't believe it right away or didn't accept it right up front. God's not shocked by that. God understands that to some people out there who are unbelievers, you know, this whole thing just sounds crazy to them. But he also understands that some are called to himself both Jews and Gentiles. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, if some are called and others aren't, then why should I even waste my time, you know, reaching out to my friends and my family and people who I know, my neighbors, because either they're called to believe in God or they're not. But the reality is, it's kind of like this. You know, if I, you know, earlier today, you know, I was at my mother's house, and, you know, we were unloading um, some items um, from a car, um, and placing it in her garage. And I said to her, I could use a hand with this, you know, and so I wanted to have my brother Andrew come and help us. Now, my mom wasn't planning to call Andrew. You see, she wasn't planning to have Andrew come in and assist and participate and partake of what we were doing. But I asked my mom several times, repeatedly pleading with her, to go and call Andrew. And because I pleaded with my mom, and my mom and I have a relationship, I'm her child, she then called upon my brother, and now my brother and I were able to start working together, and he was able to help me with those boxes. So what's the point I'm making? The point I'm making is that when you have a relationship with God, you can beseech God to call people whom you care about. And then God, in his goodness, because he promised to listen to our prayers, can answer those prayer requests and actually call someone because you prayed for them. So I just want to I just want to make sure that point comes across very clearly that sometimes you need to call on God to call somebody for you. It's like I need to call my mother to call my brother for me to participate. So I want to make that point really clear and hopefully people understand that. But then the last point I want to make is this, which is that God, it says right here, deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. Right, like if you thought I was just posturing and stipulating, and you know, when I said that these things, the gospel is foolish, right? If you thought that I was just using exaggerating, you know, kind of terms, or if you were even somebody who heard, you know, me say, he left it, you know, God considers his gospel foolish. And some people, I can see a person becoming offended even at the notion of that, a strong believer being offended. You said the gospel is foolish. 
But look at what it says here in Scripture itself. This is the word of God. It says, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. It means God didn't want a quantum physicist to come up with the answer. He didn't want a bunch of PhDs at Harvard and Yale to be the ones who discovered the truth about God, and then they have some complex formula uh, for why, you know, God exists and why Christ is the one, etc. He chose deliberately to come up with a seemingly ridiculous idea, such as Jesus going to the cross to save us from our sins, on purpose, because he knew that it sounds foolish, that it sounds ridiculous, and he says, who will have enough faith? Who will be humble enough to believe God, the one who created everything, and who is so proud and so arrogant that even if the one who created themselves and everything they're in, they would still disbelieve God? That, that's what this is about, right? You know, God wasn't doing this by accident. It's not as if, you know, all of us are wondering why he went to the cross and why he used the cross and God over there thought it was a great idea thinking that we'd all think the same thing. Like he understands that the idea sounds outlandish, but he chose it intentionally. And so we have to come with that sense of sensitivity uh, when we're preaching and teaching others about the word, understanding like it might sound foolish to them. If it does, don't be offended. Um, don't be bothered by that. Uh, don't let it discourage you from telling someone about the Bible because God even acknowledges that to some people, this is going to sound foolish. So don't let it, you know, dissuade you. Just keep working hard and keep um, doing what you have to do to get closer and closer um, to the Lord. Now, with that being said, I just want to welcome those who just joined um, Pastor Tim here with Pastor Avenel as well, who I think is still on with us. And then um, if anybody has any sort of questions, comments, thoughts, that have emerged as you have um, been listening in. Hit star five here. Be happy to you know, hear any kind of last second thoughts that anyone might have regarding anything that we've looked at. Um, hit star five. I'm not sure if anybody has any sort of last second items they want to bring up. Um, okay. Um, the last thing I want to do here is just say um, um, is, is that um, I want to leave some time for us to just pray over one another. Um, I want to leave some time for us to pray, you know, over one another. Um, you know, Pastor Avenel, who, of course, leads the ministry, you know, is it, big on just, you know, praying, you know, for the people. You know, all, you know, as you well know, we have several prayer meetings every day, uh, starting as early as, you know, Eastern Standard Time, 6 a.m., She's up early, kind of, you know, praying for people first thing at the crack of dawn um, because we believe that, you know, prayer is important, and she believes that prayer is so critical. Um, so what I would say right now is that um, if anybody has a prayer request or just wants to share a testimony, you can hit star five. You can hit star five at this moment in time. Um, hit star five if you want prayer. If there's anything on your heart, the Lord, you know, if you if you know of any people you think might need prayer, hit star five. That'll allow me to see your hand up in the system. I can make sure you're unmuted so we can pray over you today. Um, all right, I see a hand that just went up. 
from Sister Arlene. Hey, Arlene. Good evening, everyone, Pastor Tim. I'd like you to lift up my cousin still in prayer. Arlene, they're going to be pushing her out the hospital in the ICU. They are sending her to a long-term facility. So we just pray that God will intervene and touch her. After she got in that car accident, um, it was quite a big accident. So she's right now they have the trick in her and they're going to move in. As I said, they're going to be moving her to a long term. Did, did you say her name was Lynn? Was that Lynn, Lynn, yeah. Lynn, L-O-I-N, yeah. Okay, let's um let's pray over over Lynn. Yeah. Um, um, regarding regarding this um, in her recovery, that it be speedy. Heavenly Father, we just we just wow! I just already feel the Spirit of God the second I said His name. Lord God, let's just pray, oh Heavenly Father, right now that um, you would just um, heal Lynn. We know, Lord God, how much Lynn means to you. We know, Father, that it it broke your heart to see Lynn in that car crash. That you don't like seeing your children hurt. You don't like seeing them under pressure. You don't like seeing them under stress and duress. We honor you, oh, Lord God, and we ask, Heavenly Father, right now, that you, oh, Heavenly Father, would just protect Lynn in such a way that she's now able to make a full recovery. You know the enemy might want to take her out, cause complications, Lord God, that cause her um, to be, you know, out of the game for a longer period of time. But what we ask right now, Oh, Lord God, it's just that you, oh, Heavenly Father, would just restore uh, Lynn to that place of the health, restore uh, Lynn to that place, Lord God, of just good right standing in Jesus' mighty and precious name. We pray that Lynn will be totally and completely healed. We pray, oh, Father, uh, that Lynn and her entire family would have peace. We pray, Heavenly Father, that the doctors, uh, hands that are working over Lynn will be blessed. We pray that Lynn is going to be in good stead. In the mighty and precious name of Christ Jesus, we've all prayed now. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Sister Arlene. And um, if anybody else has a, wants prayer, hit star five. You can raise a hand at any time. Um, but we're going to get ready to wrap up at uh, a particular moment in time. Before we do that, though, what I want to do is just say some prayers over us you know, as a group here now. I want to read Psalm 91 for a prayer of protection. I also just want to lift you all up in general before we close. Um, but um, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for all of your wonderful children. We thank you, Father, for their kindness. We thank you, uh, Lord God, for the way you've taught them to be merciful, for the way you've taught them to love you, for the way, Heavenly Father, you've taught them uh, to care for their neighbors. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are raising up uh, uh, children that, that are faithful, Heavenly Father, that are loving, kind, gentle, Heavenly Father, and who will honor you properly. And, and maybe there are some on this line right now or who are in our church more broadly who didn't fit that mold. Maybe yet they're not yet gentle, not yet faithful. Maybe they're not yet, you know, Lord God, uh, loving. But, Lord God, we just proclaim it then by faith, that by faith people are being transformed. They're starting to look like Christ, act like Christ, talk like Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray for all the lost souls out there that you would turn them to you and save their souls in Jesus' mighty and precious name. And we want to close, Lord God, by just reading Psalm 91. And we really pray this prayer 
uh, would be manifest in our lives. It says, those who live in a shelter of the Most High find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare to the Lord. He is my refuge and place of safety. My God is my trust. For he will rescue you from every trap, protect you from the fatal plague. He will shield you with his wings. He will shelter you with his feathers. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor fear the dangers of the day, nor dread the plague that stalks in darkness, and the disaster striking at midday. But a thousand fall at your side, ten thousand dying around you, and these evils won't touch you. You see with your eyes how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, the most high shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your dwelling. For the orders of the angel to protect you wherever you go, they will hold you with their hands to construct you firm stone. You will trample lions and poison snakes, crushing fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. I will satisfy them for a long life and give them my salvation. I want to just say some amazing thing with you all tonight. I'm going to unmute the lines as we say goodnight to each other here.